You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert! No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. They Live, which came out in 1988, and was directed by John Carpenter. It stars Roddy Piper, Keith David, Meg Foster, George Buck Flowers, Peter Jason, Jason Robards III, and Raymond St. Jacques. The genre would be satirical sci-fi thriller. From John Carpenter, master of terror and suspense. They control everything. You still don't get it, do you, boys? There ain't no countries anymore. No more good guys. They're running the whole show. They're here. Don't interfere. You can't win. They're real. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. John Carpenter's They Live. You know, I can remember a time when Hollywood movies were just meant to entertain. They weren't trying to push any of their politics on us. Anyone who has told you that apparently online does not remember seeing any genre films from John Carpenter, or James Cameron, or John Milius, or Paul Verhoeven, or any of the Lethal Weapon movies, or Star Wars films for that matter. And I hope that they at least took the opportunity to see this movie on the big screen for the first time, as I did for the 35th anniversary, though sadly with no additional content. Hey, Fathom Events did that last year for The Thing. It was really cool. Rewatching this again, you're definitely reminded about how this film is a slow burn. It's an easy 35-plus minutes until we see that first view through the sunglasses. It's also increasingly obvious that the lead is an amateur actor. Yeah, as far as I can tell, this was the first big screen role for the late, great Roddy Rowdy Piper. You, you're okay. This one, real fucking ugly. Oh. You see, I take these glasses off. She looks like a regular person, doesn't she, huh? Put them back on, formaldehyde face. That's what That's we got. That's enough out of you. <laughs> You get out or I call the cops. Call the cops? You know what you need? You need a Brazilian plastic surgeon. Of course, he had a strong, relatable, luggish charisma. And you can tell how Carpenter is relying on that. Just watching his Nada, that's his character's name per the credits, explore downtown LA and stare aghast at some weird stuff going down at the local church, it generally works. And in the same way that a blank expression Keanu worked for the first Matrix movie. And once his quest to expose the alien conspiracy kicks in, well, the movie still slows down at points. <laughs> and there's one character who I think slows down the movie. I'll get to her in a bit. But fortunately, the rest of the supporting cast is spot on, with a lot of scraggly, quote, that guys, whom Piper encounters, which just inhabit their roles perfectly. Their mouths are full of bitterness and curses, and in their paths, nothing but ruin and misery, and the fear of God is not before their eyes. Have taken the hearts and minds of our leaders. They have recruited the rich and the powerful, and they have blinded us to the truth. Our human spirit is corrupted. Why do we worship greed? You have Raymond St. Jason as the blind priest, George Buck Flower as the drifter turncoat. What's wrong with having it good for a change? And they're going to let us have it good if we just help them. 
They're going to leave us alone. Let us make some money. You can have a little taste of that good life, too. Now, I know you want it. Hell, everybody does. You do it to your own kind. What's the threat? We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. And, of course, the irreplaceable Peter Jason. Been like 250-plus movies. As Gilbert, the leader of the Resistance. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to phone it in. And we cannot forget the legendary Keith David as the purple-clad Frank who becomes Nada's brother-in-arms. The golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rule. They close one more factory, we should take a sledge to one of their fancy fucking foreign cars. You know, you ought to have a little more patience with life. Yeah, well, I'm all out. The whole deal is like some kind of crazy game. They put you at the starting line. And the name of the game is Make It Through Life. Only everyone's out for themselves and looking to do you in at the same time. David brings the story a necessary level of gravitas, and from an acting standpoint, he is somewhat carrying the second half of the movie. David and Piper also happen to have great chemistry, even when they're fighting, but we'll get to that in just a bit. Overall, this movie just always seems to work for me in spite of itself. For much of its runtime, it's truly bizarre in its tone, its pacing, and just in its overall structure. At points, it even feels way too low-key for the sort of biting, anti-capitalist, anti-Reagan takedown that John Carpenter was trying to spin at the time, aided in no small part by his sometimes distractingly meandering score. But damn if the whole concept of the sunglasses is just not truly clever. All right, suppose we settle down. That's far enough. Where'd you get those glasses? Tooth fairy. I'll bet. Got him. Make yourself shaving this morning. You look as shitty to us as we do to you. Impossible. There's loads of good satire, and it also happens to end on an absurdly perfect note. The Oscar winners give a press conference and how to buy a sailboat as Gloria, Prime News. Like shit. I'm out of What's wrong? All the sex and violence on the screen has gone too far for me. I'm fed up with it. Filmmakers like George Romero and John Carpenter have to show some restraint. They're simply... You're filled with lightning when you hit the road. You're feeling that V6 power as you take control. Nothing can suck you down. You're moving on. Hey, what's wrong, baby? This brings me to the categories, and the first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. As he has for many of his earlier films, John Carpenter composed the score, along with frequent collaborator Alan Howarth, whom he worked with on several memorable synth scores for past films including Escape from New York and Christine. Alas, this is not a synth score. It's actually much more low-key and even bluesy-based even taking on an ambling tone for pretty much the first hour of the movie.
Now, while it's certainly not among my favorites, it generally works for the most part, even ramping up just a bit as things get increasingly crazy towards the end. In fact, my favorite part of the score is actually the more raucous guitar-based rock theme, which kicks in over the closing credits. It kind of sounds as if Carpenter and Howarth are just kind of cutting loose here, and it ends the movie on a suitably rousing note. And the title of this track obviously fits perfectly with what we see transpire at the very end. It's called Wake Up. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, for me, the weakest part of the movie was always the Meg Forrester character, Holly. She never looks nor acts in a trustworthy manner, and the only relationship that Nada really has with her is that he has kidnapped her before she eventually throws him out of her window. I mean, I understand how her character plays a part in the overall story, as she kind of serves as a double agent to lure him in. No. I'm so sorry. Though it ends up actually being George Buck Flowers, his drifter character, who still ends up doing most of the legwork, showing Nada and Frank all the ins and outs of this on-site alien station, giving them access. So honestly, what purpose does her character really serve? Well, yes, I know. She has those eyes. The eyes do a lot, I guess. Just does not make her performance any less mannered, even though that might have been the point, or her character any more necessary. This brings me to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Of course, what else could it be? It has to be the alley fight, which occurs about an hour into the movie. And it all starts from just a simple disagreement. I'm trying to save you and your family's life. You couldn't even save your own! <laughs> I'm giving you a choice. Either put on these glasses... Or start eating that trash can. Not this year. Okay. And the stakes could not be higher here, so of course things escalate. You dirty motherfucker! Put them on. And what results is roughly eight minutes of bone crunching insanity. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry, man. Oh! 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 
There are suplexes, groin kicks, haymakers right to the gut, and even a couple of faces kissing the concrete. Ouch. And apparently it took several weeks to film this, with Piper and David both taking a lot of punishment to pull it off. I would also say that this actually feels more painful when you see it on the big screen. But it's an impressive sequence regardless. Definitely one of the better and more convincing one-on-one fights ever shown in cinema. Look! Look at them! They're everywhere! I don't know. Maybe they can see Alley Fifth and Spring. Now hold on. You ain't the first son of a bitch to wake up out of their dream. The final category would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, I am tempted to choose Piper, as his performance is actually very strong, and Keith David also does a strong assist with his performance. But seriously, at the end of the day, there was one brainchild for this story, and that would, of course, be the Carpenter himself. Sorry, I could not actually think of a more clever nickname. This is his baby, with his mix of cynicism and playfulness. He wrote the screenplay, adapted the score, and of course directed it with his signature wide-frame style, resulting in a pretty low-budget movie which looks significantly better than it has any right to. I mean, it helps that he does not actually set up any giant set pieces which could make things unnecessarily bigger. He achieves a nice balance between the increasingly grand scale of this plot and still the relatively ground-level conflict which escalates. I mean, the two essential ingredients to pull this off were actually sharp black-and-white color grade and several straightforward, effective masks to really give us a sense of those aliens. And it works. He really made the most of a $3 million budget to deliver a lot of iconic imagery which would still hold up decades later, to the point where YouTubers recycle and or reuse it for their own agenda, or even graffiti artists like Shepard Fairey. For delivering one of his most purely entertaining and influential films, even during a time when it was not fully appreciated, John Carpenter is your MVP. Basically, what our spin on the story was that all the aliens are members of the upper class, the rich, and they're slowly exploiting the middle class, and everybody's becoming poorer, and everything we think about buying cars and having pools and and, uh, condos and all the things that everybody strives for in America basically are are created by this race of uh, inhuman creatures that really just want to exploit us like a third world. And it's told from the point of view of the homeless. My rating for They Live would be four stars out of five. This is just one of those eminently rewatchable genre films with a message that's legacy has just grown and grown over time. Like previous episode Robocop, which came out about a year prior. Not quite on that level, but still very good. And if you're looking to watch They Live, it is currently streaming on Peacock TV, Tubi, and Stars TV. And that ends another all out of bubblegum review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.